Football is finally back. What's up, guys? Welcome into a week one edition of Chargers Weekly. Chris Havery here with you. And normally, I would introduce this guy as my first guest each and every week during the football season. He's my co-host now, all 2021, Matt Money Smith. Dude, I can't tell you how excited I am for football, but uh, equally to have you join Chargers Weekly. Well, feelings mutual, Chris. Love it. Um, love engaging with the fans. You built a, a heck of a brand here with with Chargers Weekly, and certainly the the numbers prove that and bear it out. So excited to be part of it, a small part of it. Uh, I know you're going to corral the best guests out there. You got that reputation, so everybody wants to come on. It's been that way through the preseason, and I'm looking forward to getting started here with what's going to be a pretty damn nasty week one for the uh, for the Chargers and the Washington football team. This is one of the better games on the schedule in the NFL this year. Dude, I cannot wait for that. And a little bit later, we're going to be joined by uh, the radio voice of the Washington football team, Bram Weinstein, and Spiro Ditas, who is on the call for CBS, a seamless transition from Chargers preseason to week one. But, buddy, I, I, I've said this like the last couple of weeks. It's getting to a point where we're talking in hypotheticals and what could be. We finally get to see it. And I think the great mystery about Sunday is we really don't know what to expect. I mean, none of these starters played the preseason. It's a new offense. It's a new defense. You're going cross country to play a, a really good defense led by that defensive line in Washington. Uh, what are your initial thoughts going into week one? Well, I, you know, I think it, it probably speaks to what kind of person you are. You know, the old, are you a glass half full, glass half empty? And I don't know what I am because the first thing that comes to mind is that offensive line for that versus that defensive front uh, of Washington. And, you know, I, I typically watch a couple games to, to get ready for, you know, whatever that week's contest is. I'll watch a couple games of the opponent, the last game that the Chargers played just to kind of refresh the memory. And I ended up just watching a lot of Washington football team defensive play. I didn't do much with their offense because I think it is going to look a little bit different with, with Fitzpatrick back there. Although maybe it won't. Maybe they'll continue to play a little bit conservatively, um, do a lot of Antonio Gibson and, and let the defense try to make plays because, man, can they make plays. So that's – I don't think there's any question. The, the number one battle is going to be Chargers offensive line and, and the rookie of the year, the reigning rookie of the year behind it and Justin Herbert versus that front – of all first rounders, Montez Sweat, Payne, Allen in the middle, and then, of course, Chase Young on the other end. And, man, are they nasty. They're nasty, and everybody talks about Chase Young. Montez Sweat may be a top-five pass rusher in the NFL. And yeah. uh, when you talk about Jonathan Allen and, and Jerron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, it's a scary front. Uh, I'm interested to talk to Bram about some of these other guys. Uh, Jamin Davis, the linebacker, rookie. Um, and then offensively, Deami Brown, the wide receiver from North Carolina. With Curtis Samuel's status up in the air, and he hasn't practiced much at all, uh, that could be another kind of X-factor guy for Washington in their offense, especially with Asante Samuel, two guys from the ACC. Yeah. Who knows if a, a couple of young bucks maybe decided uh, on the, the defensive end for the Chargers. Yeah, I think the one thing that's that's being overlooked, and, and you know, DJ would certainly be better, and I'm sure he's he's already done a heck of a job for the, the the fans of the Chargers at breaking this down. But just you know, one of the things he always brings up, and it's something that I've heard in calling games with with analysts for a long time, and that's you know, is the front connected to the back, and and do those two work in concert with one another? And I think that's where maybe the Chargers can can exploit the the football team a little bit, you know, is, is and I'm sure, you know, we, we saw it in New Orleans for, for all of his time there and Joe Lombardi and just quick strikes. And, and you know, that's how you're going to have to attack this defensive line is get that ball out quick and let guys like Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, if they're too aggressive and you can just dump that smoke route or, or get Keenan on a quick slant, man, it can go a long way because of how quickly those guys are trying to get up field to get to the quarterback. But to me, the flip side that's being overlooked is this defensive front of the Chargers and how good Kyler Fackrell looked in the preseason opposite Joey Bosa and just what he's going to do and how he's going to cut loose Kenneth Murray, Kaiser White, Drew Tranquil, an additional rush. And, and you know, I, I think the best way I can describe it and what I think it's going to look like, and I went back and watched a couple Rams games as well, just to sort of see what was going on defensively. I think it most closely resembles from what we saw last year. Um, the, the Dolphins and the Patriots and sort of that amoeba front and he'll he'll press six guys up there and you don't know which two are dropping out or if one's dropping out. And and that to me is, look, Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick's been 
solid his entire career, but he's also been bad at times. You know, he can he can get into some mistakes. He can walk into some mistakes. So I'm anxious to see how that first game of the Brandon Staley defense led by Joey Boson and Derwin James is going to be able to get after Ryan Fitzpatrick and and uh, for some mistakes of their own. This could end up just being a heck of a defensive battle. It really could. And, you know, you mentioned we hadn't seen Bosa in preseason. We didn't see Tillery or Linval or Justin Jones either. So I asked Staley this yesterday, the difference between game planning in week one versus like when you hit your stride in the middle of the season, you got tape on guys. And, you know, he he talks a lot about just having the Chargers focus on the Chargers and having a clean game plan going into week one because at the end of the day, you really you can only focus on what you've been doing. And, you know, you don't really know what the team is going to throw at you week one. And you have to adjust on the fly. But you got to be sound in, in your principles and, and what you're doing. And that's the most fascinating thing, Money, because we, we've seen snippets of it during, you know, joint practices with the 49ers. But we haven't seen these dudes on the grass when it's actually real. And I think that's the that's the fun part on both sides of the football. Yeah, well, you know, I I think just kind of if you ever if you look at the NFL and if you talk to people and I mean not to take it there, but I'll just call them wise guys. They say the first week to the first two weeks is when you can really exploit the numbers because oftentimes great players and great coaches are able to get that quicker start. They just have cleaner game plans. Their just natural ability is able to overcome shaking off the rust and kind of getting getting settled into the, the season. So, you know, I think we all have that kind of faith in 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 Coach Staley and and his staff that that they are going to be able to. I don't want to say out scheme, but just that they're going to be ready. That that they are going. This this team, I think, is going to be ready to get after it week one from the second that ball is put up in the air. And I, and I think for as much celebration and look, it's deserved as much celebration of the, the defensive front of the Washington football team, this was still a seven and nine team. You know, it was still a team that yeah. went seven and nine last year. They still have their flaws. They still have issues. They still have giant, a giant question mark at quarterback. Um, I was so surprised the bears let go of Charles Leno. And, and now you see they're paying the price for that because their first round pick or their second round pick ended up getting hurt. So they're at their third string, you know, left tackle now. So Leno slides in with Scherf. I mean, it's it's a good offensive line, but I think it's still an offensive line that that Joey Bosa and Brandon Staley and, and you know and, and that whole front and you know whichever linebackers he's going to cut loose are going to be able to take advantage of. Um, and then I, I think like of all the of all the um, and, and again I just want I'm looking at the depth chart here because it escaped me, but they got a rookie Sam Cosme and look there he was celebrated coming out of Texas, but he's a rookie playing right tackle, you know. Yeah. So you want to get after it, you got Fackrell or Bosa on on him and. Logan Thomas, while he's big, he's not the best blocking tight end. So, you know, they're going to probably have to keep tight end for help. But what I'm getting at is the one I, I'm, I'm anxious to see, because we saw it in practice, if Terry McLaurin, who I think is one of the best receivers in the league, is he getting is. a little loose, I'm anxious to see if you, if you unleash 33 on him and get a little physical at the line and shove him around a little bit, um, if we might see that from Brandon Staley and Derwin James. I'm kind of excited that that could be a possibility. I would like to see that. And you're right. That offense, they had really the worst quarterback play in the league last year. A big reason why they only won seven games, despite having a really yeah. good defense. And, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, man, it could be five, five touchdowns, one pick, one touchdown, five picks. You know, it's you don't know what you're going to get no. with Fitz magic. Uh, Antonio I said this, uh, Chris, I said this on power rankings uh, yesterday on NFL Network with the, the, the show we do every, every couple of days ago on Tuesdays. We do it. And we were talking about the Washington football team. And I said, Fitzpatrick really reminds me a lot of the old Leroy Horde quote that's so famous from Minnesota, which is, coach, if you need two, I can get you three. If you need four, I can get you three. And I think that that's, <laughs> I think that's Fitzpatrick, right? He's, yeah. His whole career, he's kind of been this great, look, he's probably the best backup in the league because if, if your quarterback goes down, I'm good, coach. I got you for three weeks until our guy heals up, man. But if you need me for five, I got you for three. And I, and I just <laughs> I'm anxious to see how it works over the course of an entire season. No question. It, you know, we, we talk about the offensive line, the challenge the Chargers have uh, offensively trying to stop that defensive line. I do think, like you said, the Chargers defense, they're equipped 
to slow this Washington offense. You, you put 33 out there with, with Bosa, who we haven't seen ever open a season together. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of parts that are new. I mean, Derwin hasn't played with Nas. He hasn't played with Kenneth. He hasn't played with Drew. He hasn't played with a lot of these guys. But that's that's what's, I think, fun about this, is, is he can do anything, play anywhere. He's positionless. And he's going to be the X factor, I think, in this game. But, buddy, one of the things that I, I think it's tough when we're you're doing a podcast on a Thursday, Austin Eckler didn't practice on Wednesday, so that's obviously it's something to monitor throughout the week. Uh, if he if he's limited in any way, let's say he goes and he's limited or he doesn't go, the running game for the Chargers, Justin Jackson, all of a sudden full health, and and he could be probably the, the deciding factor in terms of the running game if Austin is, is somehow limited in any way. Well, you know, like you said, it's so hard to figure this out because, like you said, he didn't practice. Um, but then when he talked to the media, he said he felt great. And you don't know yeah. if, if he, that's precautionary or if he just felt something and they're playing it safe or whatever that may be. Justin Jackson being healthy would be huge because, uh, look, we've seen it. We, we you know, we talked about it and, and I just, you know, my issue was if this guy is going to be, if, if Justin's going to be a health concern, it's very hard to carry that guy in your roster, you know, when you don't know if he's going to be available. If he is available, we all know the talents there. Uh, he's, he's exceptional. I know it's crazy to say that, but he is. He's been great when he's been on the field, especially catching the ball out of the backfield. He's got great vision. Um, he's been a huge addition to, to this team when he's available. I, I have faith in Larry Roundtree. I do. Um, and, and I think, you know, one thing that's often overlooked, and this is going to be super important, and I think this is why maybe you would end up seeing a lot more Josh Kelly, is you're going to need a back to stay in. It, whoever your best pass blossing, blocking back is, 100%. That's, and, and look, the answer to that question is Austin Eckler. He's your best pass block, block, blocking back. We saw him do it in those one-on-ones against Fred Warner, where he's holding up one of the strongest, fastest linebackers in the league in those, in those drills. So that's going to be a huge part of success of, of the offensive success is if Austin's healthy, that's a big, big boost to your pass blocking. And if he's not, I think you could end up seeing a lot more Josh Kelly because he's probably your second best pass blocking back in that room. And I think that would almost be an overriding priority to anything else from that position. Dude, let's just switch gears for a second. What's it going to be like for you to actually call a game with with fans in the stands? Week one, man, it was just polar opposite last year. You guys had to call games from a booth um, on the road. It's got to be exciting for you to actually get back to this. No doubt. We were in a television studio uh, with a satellite feed last year. Sorry, my dog's trying to attack me. Um, we were in a, a television studio with a satellite feed of the all 22 and what's called the dirty feed, which is just the live feed of the television broadcast. And it was challenging. And, and I would say the Cincinnati game was probably one of the worst calls I've had because we were just getting used to it. And it was just hard to figure out where your eyes should go and how accurate is what you're seeing on the monitor. Um, one was about a quarter to a half second delayed from the other. So you would just kind of get caught up. So to be in, and it's funny that we're starting here, and I, I know this is kind of almost first world football problems, but it's one of the worst booths in all of football, the Washington football team, FedEx field. They put you way up in the corner and it's not the easiest thing to track yet. Still, even with that, it's going to be better than, uh, than what we had last year. Cause we'll be in that, whatever that place holds 90,000, 80,000 places, gigantic. Um, and, and to feel that energy, cause that's, you know, this is what I always said about about the detractors and what it was like at, at Dignity Health. Um, you know, there was energy in that building. No matter what color the fans were wearing, there was energy. And you felt it and the players felt it. Um, and and that makes a big difference. I just I really think, especially for for primetime players, you know, like Derwin James, like Joey. Those guys feed off that energy. I really believe that. And, and I think even though it may have helped Justin Herbert last year, you know, not having to deal with noise when you're an opposing team in a place like the Superdome, I think it's going to help other players. It's going to get them going. It's really going to get them moving where maybe they had to create their own energy last year. So I'm excited for it. God, I can't wait. Well, this podcast today, everybody who's called the game is on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, a little bit later. Brett Whiteside, the voice of the Washington football team, going to give us this week's opposing view 
But first, Money and I caught up with Spiro Dita. Spiro on the call with Jay Feely on TV for CBS Week 1. My internet was jacked up. Long story. Money carried me. Here's Spiro. What uh, I'd love to know, Spiro, is, you know, for people that, that don't know, I think a lot do, but you, you call the Chargers preseason games on, on CBS there. What, like, what did you learn? Could you, what did you, did you figure anything out in the preseason? Because very few starters played. If they did, they played very little. But was there anything that jumped out at you that you feel like you're going to carry over into this opener against Washington? Well, it's, it's getting harder and harder money, as you guys know, to really get a feel for what a team is going to look like and feel like based on what we see in the preseason. And it just seems like it's trending now even further in that direction. And Brandon Staley, another new coach in this league who is of the same mind really as, as a Sean McVay and so many other coaches to where they just don't want to risk putting their frontline players on the field. And, and look, you're already seeing more preseason injuries to, to top guys, you know, JK Dobbins in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, there've been a number of key injuries and key guys go down. So I, I completely get it. For me, the, the biggest takeaway was sitting down with Brandon Staley and really getting a feel for who this guy is, because, you know, we, we've all heard the story of, of his meteoric rise, which is still incredible to think of where he was four or five years ago, coaching division three and not even as a head coach. And here he is now at the age of 38, getting ready to, to coach his first game in a real game in, in, in D.C. this weekend. And, and just like you guys, blown away by, by his football acumen, um, his overall feel, the relationships he's been able to build with his players here in such a short time um, and talking to the guys, you know, talking to Justin Herbert and Derwin James and Joey Bosa. A lot of times you, you listen to guys talk about their coach and, and you can tell pretty quickly when it's lip service and when it's genuine. And and it's it's really authentic with these guys when they talk about Brandon Staley, because I think the modern day player now really, guys, wants a coach who's going to put them in a position to succeed. You know, whether that's a, a personal thing with the player or if they're really team guys and they want to truly win and be on a contending team. And Brandon Staley is, is part of this new age of coach who, you know, like a Sean McVay and like so many of the others, these other young dynamic coaches has such an unbelievable understanding of the game. And he's just coming from such an analytical place that these guys buy in very quickly, um, whether that translates into wins for this team and how quickly it takes for them to turn this thing around a little bit remains to be seen, but just sitting with him for, for 30 minutes, that first time we met him with, with uh, Dan Fouts and the rest of our crew, we all kind of walked out of that meeting, looking at each other saying this, this guy's pretty impressive. Spear, his, his pressers are like podcasts. They're like mm -hmm. always 21 minutes, 22 minutes, and you get so much out of them. Uh, we talked to him this week, just about you know, some of these storylines in this game and what, what stands out to you, we got the offensive rookie of the year versus the defensive rookie mm. of the year. We, uh, Bosa, Slater, Young. Uh, what jumps out at first glance? Well, first of all, ju just on a, on a macro level, guys, to see how far Washington has come as an organization over the last year and a half since Ron Rivera took over is pretty staggering. I mean, you know, we, we all saw the headlines. We all know what a black cloud was hanging over this franchise with, with just the nightmare uh, after nightmare scenario on a PR level, uh, all the changes that they've undertaken, you know, the, the fine levied by the NFL, which was kind of unprecedented to go from that kind of a rudderless organization to where they are now with not only Ron Rivera at the top, but the new hierarchy that he's kind of put in place in there with Marty Herney, um, new GM, new salary cap people. I think when you when you read when you you know listen to what agents are saying, not just players and, and other teams, um, but what agents are saying, the agents that have to deal with front offices around the league, and they kind of know what teams are are first class and what teams are, you know, at the other end of the spectrum. I think there's suddenly a respect with this team, and I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how that kind of translates for them because. You know, look, the NFL is in a, in a better place when, when the big market teams are successful. And I think for too long, that franchise has been down. So just interested to see what Washington's able to do. And, and obviously, you know, with the Chargers, it's, it's Brandon Staley. It's, it's Justin Herbert. You know, what kind of sophomore season can he have? He set the bar so high. And last year, he kind of came out of nowhere. This is a completely different year and a situation for Justin Herbert. How does he handle now the expectations that he has 
that he didn't have to think about or contend with last year. He kind of came, took everyone by surprise. Uh, Derwin James, you know, how quickly can he become an elite player? And if he can, then to me, this team has everything. Yeah, Spiro, uh, you know, for, for people that, that don't know, CBS is, you know, ABC is, is, is AFC, um, mm-hmm. but it's AFC road team. So just I, I don't know what your exact schedule was last year. If you had a chance to see the Washington football team at, at all last year, but did, just yeah. kind of. OK, so you did going back and watching uh, some some games to get ready for this one. Have you seen a front like that? I'm not talking about in the NFL last Mm -hmm. year. I just mean in recent years. I mean, that that is going to be, you know, you always hear when you draft, you got to draft the quarterback or you got to draft players to get to the quarterback. I have not seen a front like that. Montez Sweat is so overshadowed by Chase Young because of how great a rookie year he has. He's the best player on that line. And my God, is he a nightmare? Um, When when you watched their games and you called their games, kind of walk us through what it's like to see that front four on a snap in snap out basis. We went, we went down on the field um, pregame a little bit. We kind of snuck down there last year, um, despite all the protocols. And, and just from a little further away than we are normally able to get. And we watched them as they warmed up a little bit. And, and to see that those four guys up front, just standing next to each other on the <laughs> field. You know, Arch, uh, my, my partner last year, Adam Archuleta, just looked at me. He's like, he's like, wow. You know, he said something I can't repeat here. But... <laughs> To see them up close with the agility thrown in, not you know, with the way that they move and the size was first of all eye-opening for me. And then once the game started, it, we were just blown away by by the sheer domination of these guys physically. And and to, first of all, I agree with what you said about Montez Sweat, but just to say that when when Chase Young is next to him, I think tells you all you need to know about yeah. how incredibly gifted this front is. And to me, that's the other big storyline, guys, with this game. You know, so much of what the Chargers are able to do this year, the biggest factor for them is going to be this revamped offensive line that, of course, as you guys know, was the top priority for Tom Telesco. And so they're unable to basically practice as a group for more than two or three days straight. Obviously, none of their starters, with the exception of Slater, has played really uh, in the preseason. I think Filer played a little bit. And so, oh, by the way, you've got to take on this group, this defensive front in the opening game. Uh, to me, that is going to be the most fascinating part of this of this game on Sunday. And uh, how quickly they can put it together, I think, is going to determine, you know, not only who can win this game, but but how this team fares in the early part of the season. It's a heck of a first test. And, you know, a guy like Matt <laughs> Ioannidis, he would start for like 25 teams. He's yeah. like he's mm. like the fifth guy on that defensive line. Yeah. Um, Scary. Hey, Spiro, this Brandon Staley defense, we've talked about it so much, right? We'll finally get to see it on Sunday. And what I think is just really unique is that, you know, Joey Bosa and Derwin James, they've never started a season together. Derwin has never played with Nas Adderley and Chris right. Harris Jr. and Asante Samuel Jr. Um, what do you think it's going to look like on Sunday? We've heard about how this scheme uh, will confuse an offense and how guys are going to be coming from everywhere. We just haven't seen it yet. What do you expect? Yeah. You know, the other thing I'm looking forward to the other pairing is Derwin with Chris Harris. You know, I think yeah. Chris, this yeah. is going to be kind of a new role for him. And so I think, you know, when, when Brandon Staley has this kind of a, a core group of, of really talented playmakers, um, Look at what he did last year with the Rams. You know, the Rams certainly had some talent, but I don't think they had this level of talent and certainly not playmakers. You know, you give a, a, a guy like Brandon Staley this kind of a number of pieces of chess pieces. I think that there's there's really no end to the possibilities of what he could do. Um, and this is what he does. I, th- I just think it's going to be a completely different defensive system. You know, they're going to be multiple. Uh, the pre-snap disguising that they're going to do is going to be very different. Um, I'm fascinated to see what he can do with this group. You know, Ronaldo Hill, I think, is someone that that we need to talk about as well. I think, you know, the other thing we asked Brandon about Ronaldo, and uh, he he was so authentically impressed with what he has brought to the table as a coach. They had one year together in Denver on Vic Fangio's staff, and and Brandon told us he would just sit and pick Ronaldo's brain because, you know, knowing that this guy had played the position for 10 years in the league and had done it at a pretty good level um, – there was so much that he wanted to glean from those conversations. You know, he talked about how they bonded for that year and he couldn't wait to bring Ronaldo on, you know, if and when he got a head coaching job. So I think Ronaldo Hill is going to be heavily involved in what they do. And um, 
And it's going to be uh, the potential for this defense, guys, is is pretty strong. Now they got to all put it together and 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 see what they can do come Sunday. Spiro, um, you know, because you you do the games, you get into these production meetings, and you have a chance to to talk to head coaches, coordinators, players. Um, with all the Charger games that that you've called over the last four years, what are some of the things that that you remember, if you can recall them, coaches saying about Austin Eckler? Because it was always interesting to me mm. when DJ and I would walk down on the field. That'd be one of the first names that came out of the defensive side of the balls. Their opponents' mouths. They're like, "Man, this Austin Eckler." But like, what do you remember hearing about him? Because he certainly is overshadowed when you have Herbert and especially Keenan Allen out there. You don't hear his name quite as much. Yeah, Austin Eckler. You know, when we first heard about him, he started to have a little bit of success that first year. I think 2017. And Anthony Lynn. Every time we asked him about him, his eyes would light up. And there was something about Austin that Anthony saw that reminded him of himself um, as a player, not necessarily in terms of body style or running style, but just blue collar, you know, a guy who had really been overlooked his entire career, you know, high school, collegiate level, obviously from a small school. And there was such pride that Anthony and the coaching staff had taken in finding this kid and giving him a chance and and I think when when teams hit those kinds of home runs, it, it's almost more meaningful for them because you know it, it's easier to find the high draft pick who pans out and and you know has the success you expect. But when you can go pluck an Austin Eckler off the scrap heap, there's just something that I think the front office takes pride in when when something like that happens. Um, you know, hopefully his hamstring injury isn't something overly serious, although. I don't know many hamstring injuries that aren't serious. Yeah. Um, not not the way uh, you want to start the first week of the season. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard anything as far as that goes, but you know, it's if he can stay healthy, he just adds such an element to this team. I mean, obviously, this, this has been an, an offense with Philip Rivers and all those teams that really utilizes running backs that can catch the football out of the backfield, and he certainly fits that bill. Yeah. So, hopefully, the hamstring's good and uh, and he's uh, he's ready to go on Sunday. Spiro, this is going to be a different week one, obviously, from, from last year. And listen, we know Justin Herbert has played in ruckus environments in college, mm -hmm. but, you know, he didn't have a crowd really for a majority yeah. of, of last year at all. I mean, and I have to imagine that's probably an advantage for a quarterback in some respects, especially like going down to the Superdome, four touchdowns in, mm. in New Orleans, but but not having that crowd noise. What do you think week one is going to be like? Obviously, it's going to be a ruckus crowd there in D.C., uh, do you think there'll be an adjustment for quarterbacks and, and offenses based off of uh, how last year transpired? Yeah, Chris, I, you know, you bring up another great point. He, he played in empty stadiums last year. Right. Um, on, on the one hand, you know, I, I still talk about what he did week two against Kansas City. I, I don't think it's talked about enough, to be honest with you, to, to be told you're going to be the starter as the ball literally is being kicked in the air against Kansas City, against that team. And to go out and to throw for over 300 yards and almost win that game, to me, is one of the most amazing stories that I've ever, you know, experienced or seen or, or heard about in the NFL since covering this sport. So we know that the kid is special. I mean, obviously, he proved that last year. But this year, again, to me, it's, it's just different. You know, it's different when you're able to sneak up on everyone and, and, you know, teams haven't really prepared for you. Obviously, they did as the season went on. But it's, it's just different now to deal with heightened expectations and to now have to go into these full stadiums and deal with the crowds and deal with things when, you know, you throw an early pick or something bad happens and, and the pressure starts to ratchet up. So, you know, I, I think he's proven that he's for real and that he's a generational type talent. Now he's got to go do it under far uh, more difficult circumstances. And it starts this week, guys. This is this is going to be really, really interesting to see how he handles this defensive front. He's got more responsibility now, certainly with uh, with pass protections and, and the things that they want to do offensively. And let's see where he is. Um, this is why I was a little bit surprised that Brandon didn't at least play his frontline guys a little bit. You know, maybe get Justin some reps with the, with the first team offensive lineman. I know that uh, there were some injuries that they were dealing with, certainly with Bulaga, but. Man, this, this is a tough set of circumstances considering they haven't played together yet in the, in the live game. Yeah, I know uh, just in terms of Tom and and Coach Staley, Tom Telesco and Coach Staley just kind of pointed to those those reps against the ones of San Francisco right. uh, as kind of the, the thrown into the fire <clears throat> sort of moments this preseason for their 
offense, Justin Herbert included. Last thing for me, Spiro, uh, you know, we, we've been friends for a long time, so you know me well enough to know how much I love the mascots. So I don't know if you saw the, uh, the story <laughs> that leaked, but uh, eight finalists that, uh, that, that President Snyder, uh, I think Tracy is her name, right? Yeah. Um, Tanya, said, Tanya. Said, uh, said, confirmed, yes, those are the eight finalists. So of the eight, I have my favorite. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to try to remember them off the top of my head. And this speaks to how much I love mascots. But I believe it is uh, Armada, Brigade, mm-hmm. Commanders, Defenders, Washington football team, Red Wolves, Red Hogs, and Presidents. Mm. I know I rattled through those quickly, but is there one that stands out to you amongst those eight that you think uh, would be the best mascot choice for 2022? Oh, man. You know, in terms I, I, I was just li- listening to this podcast last night and I, I heard the same thing you did. By the way, the fact that you could rattle those names off, man. I mean, you just it, it speaks to how much I, I love you. Yeah. I can't name their starters, but I can give you the eight finalists for the mascot. Yeah. I don't know if that was impressive or frightening, but <laughs> impressive, uh, no doubt. You know, I mean, I, I guess it just depends on what the mascot is. I mean, to me, presidents and defenders, just based on where that franchise is, just kind of makes sense. And for some reason, I think of Point Break, one of my favorite movies with, uh, with the president's masks. If they can pull off like one of those deals, to me, it's presidents. I yes, mean, that is my absolute. That is my number one. Absolutely. Yeah. If they can yeah. pull presidents, I think it would be <laughs> like every know. week, every week, maybe they just put a different mask on, you know, oh, and the dude yeah. runs out and just scares How about people? a different a different president's head on the side of their helmet every oh, single God, week, man. just a different decal. Yeah, <laughs> the possibilities are limitless. Yeah, exactly. presidents for me, for sure. I like I like the see you know growing up in DC I, I like the homage to the 80s with the hogs but I think red hogs is trying my number too two. hard it's trying too hard yeah really? see I think red hogs is my number two because everybody's doing like red wolves and red hawks and like the idea that they're like okay we want to keep red in the name you know I don't know yeah. if that's like a bit of a middle finger or whatever <laughs> by keeping red in the name but uh, but I do like red hogs a lot more than red wolves that's for sure. That makes sense. You know, when I first saw Red Hogs, I thought, man, it sounds a little minor league-ish right. a little bit, but money, you've explained it, and it did make sense now. What about you, Harry? You, you mentioned you grew up there. What, what do you got, Harry? What do you want? You know what? I'm very conflicted. I, I Like I said, I like the Red Hogs because I think of Rigo, and I think of that offensive line, and I think it's a nice homage to the past where they did win those three Super Bowls. Uh, the, the Washington football team, People, I feel like, have – and I, I'll say this. If, if they play well this year, who knows if they just stick with the Washington football team. I don't know. I don't know what's going to yeah. happen. But, oh but the way that you explain presidents, it, it's it's skyrocketing up my power rankings. Buddy. There we go. I, there we go. I'm living in fear that I'm going to call them by their old name on Sunday. You'll be fine. Oh, man. I'm going to put a little shot collar on me. I think you'll get a little <laughs> zap. You'll be, you'll be fine. <laughs> Spiro, you're the best man. I, I know you're you're busy today, so we appreciate you spending some some time with us. And uh, best of luck on the call on Sunday, brother. Thanks, boys. My pleasure. We'll do it All again. Right. Thanks, Spiro. All right, to get this week's opposing view, a blast from the past for me. Uh, Brent Weinstein, the voice of the Washington football team. Money, funny story. My very first job in sports. Bram, you'll remember this. It was training camp 2000. Deion Sanders, Bruce Smith, Mark Carrier. Uh, my first job was getting in a golf cart and taking John Thompson to the remote location at Redskins Park. So, like, you know, I'm 18, 19 years old, and I'm doing everything in my power just to not mess anything up, you know, and I'm like 90% of the way there. We start the show. I know Bram was like right next to me. You don't remember this, Bram, but. He goes, John Thompson show, Sports Talk 980. We're here at Washington Trading Camp, and it'd be great if this intern would get out of my way so I can actually <laughs> watch the practice. <laughs> he says this on air. I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure you can picture him saying that, Fram. I have a golf cart story ride if you want it. I'll do it as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So he's referencing my first season covering them. Um, which was the 2000, 2008, which is trial by fire. It's the beginning of the Dan Snyder era, boomer bust Washington football team, obviously known as the Redskins at the time. John Thompson, uh, first day, first week covering the team. I'd never covered him before. Team doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. First week um, at the time, Dan Snyder was really, really close with Sonny Jurgensen, who was, you know, legendary Hall of Fame player, was in the booth. He was always hanging out with them. And I was on a local show 
one night and I was asked about um, the relationship between Sonny Jurgensen and Dan Snyder. I didn't really know it from a hole in the wall anyway, but I, I answered the question anyway. And I said on the show, Steve Zabin's show, I said, I said, oh, man, that's his dog, man. And I meant it. You have to remember, this is 20 years ago. D-A-W-G, not D-O-G. Somebody in the organization heard this and thought that I had just called Sonny Jurgensen, greatest living legend of the organization, the pet of the owner huh. and wanted to be fired, you know, five days into getting this job that I, you know, wanted to get. And, um, and so fortunately my, my bosses stood up for me and said, you know, you guys are classically unhip and you don't know what you're talking about, et cetera. But they put me on basically the watch list and you get one more strike. You're going to be out of here. The next day, as I'm going to training camp, I'm petrified because I'm fairly certain five days into getting this job, I'm going to be fired. John Thompson pulls up in the aforementioned golf cart that Chris mentions and says, Bram, do you want to ride? And if you've never met John Thompson, he's the largest, most looming figure you've ever seen in your life. And his voice is so deep, it makes your bone shake, right? <laughs> so you understand very quickly why people played as hard as they did for him, right? And as we're pulling around the corner um, and getting to our setup where training camp was and where the radio station tent was, um, the president of the team who had called my boss and wanted me fired for calling Sonny Jurgensen a dog walks out of the building. John Thompson on cue asked the person driving the cart. I don't think it was Chris, but could have been Chris to please stop the cart. Right. And he goes, look here, MFR, you mess with him. You mess with me. <laughs> MFR. And this guy oh, no. looked like crapped his pants. Right. <laughs> And they never messed with me again. So I credit John Thompson for saving the beginning of my career in the golf cart that Chris used to ride around with him. In. <laughs> that, that's as good as it gets. I mean, that, that, that John Thompson. Uh, look, we all. I, I am. I am built like a like a teenage girl. So to have someone uh, as as many of us radio folk that uh, you don't have to see in front of a camera uh, tend to look <laughs> to, to have someone yep. like John Thompson as your uh, as your wingman. My gosh, what an asset. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was blind luck, and I don't know why he liked me so much, but but apparently he did. So yeah, it here we out. are, twenty years later. Yeah, here we here are. we go, and, and now you're the you're the voice of the team for him. It's it's so awesome. I, I know it was a dream come true for you, and uh, you had a, a pretty magical ride, uh, a playoff run, and NFC East title last year, and now we we fast forward expectations even higher in, in Washington. Uh, what are they saying about the Chargers coming to town in Week One? So we, I really want to ask you that because for some reason you guys didn't play anybody in the preseason. And that is really annoying for all of us here in mm. these parts. Like I second year quarterback, first year coach debut game for him. They didn't feel it necessary to show a thing. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, like clearly, you know, this is an interesting first test one. There's a lot of guesswork, I think on both sides, but really for us to try to figure out what the chargers are going to do. Um, there is a healthy amount of respect for Justin Herbert around here. There's a healthy amount of respect for those receivers. Um, and there is some concern here with new look secondary um, that, you know, the deep passing game could be a problem. So there's an impetus here on the pass rush, which is the enormous strength of this team to get to Herbert, to hopefully uh, force him into making quicker throws than he wants to because there is a definitive fear that they can be beat downfield here this weekend. Bram, just in, in terms of the, the difference that uh, a veteran like Ryan Fitzpatrick brings to, to the team, what, what have you noticed just kind of about the offense, about maybe how they're carrying themselves and, and what you expect from this group with, with him at the helm? You know, I think what we learned about Ron Rivera um, over this first year and a half is he actually, and I think the Riverboat Ron thing really kind of meshes with his personality. He wants more risk-taking done. Um, and the quarterbacks that he seems attracted to that are, you know, that he can acquire. I mean, they would have loved to have gotten Matthew Stafford or Russell Wilson or Sean Watson pre all the legal stuff if it was possible. But they settled on Fitzpatrick because they wanted someone who's going to YOLO it a little bit and put his body on the line and will run and will throw the ball downfield, even if it's sometimes ill-advised to do so, because he wants more chances taken. Um, this team is vastly different in terms of its playmaking ability than they had a year ago. Like it's night and day. Their receiving core room is vastly different, vastly more versatile. Um, they have the opportunity to make more plays downfield, but they also wanted someone who was willing to take those risks and Alex Smith was not. So they are a team 
honestly, that I'm not sure what we're really going to see. They also haven't shown a lot. All they are is kind of talking about being more explosive, taking more chances downfield, and hoping to alter their scoring ability because they feel like if they can just be an average offense, that their defense will carry them to hopefully a second straight division title. Graham, I want to ask you about two rookies there. Uh, Jamin Davis, who's obviously going to be playing behind that the defensive line. How's he looked at training camp? And then with the injury question mark to Curtis Samuel this week, uh, you hear the name Diami Brown from UNC a lot. Um, what has he brought to the offense? Uh, I think two names that maybe Chargers fans aren't too familiar with. Yeah. Um, Jamin's going to play, play a lot. Probably the – the, the one spot on this team where I think that they're just not comfortable with their depth is linebacker. Um, so early parts of camp, Jamin was swimming a little bit. He was a little bit lost. Um, you know, everyone just like automatically goes, oh, this great athlete comes in behind that defensive line. He's going to be defensive rookie of the year. And it looks like it's taken some time for him to get his sea legs in and he's adjusting to the NFL game. But he plays a prominent role and they are very thin at that position. Position group, So he's going to have to be a performer for them. And they're saying he's going to be fine. And he certainly looks the part. I mean, he, he looks like a pure middle or outside linebacker. What they liked about him is he's versatile. He can cover a little bit too. He's got great speed. As for Deami Brown, um, they were looking for a pure deep threat. They think they have it in him. With Curtis Samuel, very much in question. And I would describe at this point as doubtful that he'll be playing on Sunday. Um, he's going to play probably a little bit more of a prominent role than I think they probably would have anticipated, but they've loved him from the start. They feel like they need this pure outside deep threat. They are going to run specific plays for him. Um, the good news with having Brown is it allows them to move, hopefully Samuel at some point and McLaurin in and out. McLaurin's a stud. Um, he is not, he does not take up a, a, a specific position at wide receiver. He will move around a lot, play in the slot and play on the outside. And having Brown opposite of him, they believe is going to give McLaurin a lot more room to operate this year. Yeah, speaking of uh, McLaurin, just, you know, whenever people, whenever we talk about the Chargers a lot, we're always asked, you know, why, why is Keenan Allen so underrated? Why are the Chargers so adamant that, that he's been disrespected? And, you know, the way we describe it is just route running. This is the best route runner in the league. Terry McLaurin feels like he might be sliding into that Keenan Allen category, although there's enough people out there that are, that are pushing that he's one of the better receivers in the league. How would you describe, like, what is it that makes Terry McLaurin special as he's kind of looks to be ready to take that next step into that, that elite group of receivers? I don't think people realize how fast he is. Um, and maybe, you know, it's, it's, uh, Maybe it's it's not in the metrics, but in game speed, you see it, how fast he is. He also is a very precise route runner. What we're expecting to see different, even an improvement of him this year, is he's getting off the line better than he did in the past. He catches the ball in traffic. If you catch him in stride, um, forget it. He's gone. Um, they feel like overall their team speed is way higher than it was in the past. Once they get Samuel back, McLaurin, him, Brown, potentially J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson, who is going to play a dual threat position this year, not only as their lead running back, but as a wide receiver, which is what he was in college. Um, they feel like they can create mismatches, but the biggest one for them is McLaurin and probably a lot like Allen. I don't believe he's as physical or big as Allen is, um, but he's a tactician. Um, he takes this craft very seriously and I think we knew we had something special in him. I'll never forget this. In the preseason of his rookie season a couple of years ago, Jay Gruden was still that coach. They didn't play him in the preseason games. And they were playing everybody else. They weren't playing him. And we were all looking around going, oh, man, they know they got something and they don't want the Eagles to see it. And sure enough, like game one, he walks out there and it's, you know it when you see it. He's got an incredible feel for the game. He's already a team captain. It's deserved. Um, he's going to be a fixture here for a long time. And he's just outstanding and getting better. And he's one of these guys, probably like Alan, who takes this extremely seriously and tries to improve each offseason. Graham, I say this with a caveat that 
nobody is Sean Taylor. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody like Sean Taylor. Uh, but, but Derwin James in 2018 was pretty darn close in terms of some of the plays that he made. And, and I look at Derwin as a guy who you just you want to watch on every single play just to see what he's going to do next. I know he idolized Sean Taylor, and he says he's his own guy. He, you, you can't compare to number 21. But, but how are the Washington football team preparing for a healthy Darwin James, knowing that he really doesn't have a position on the field. And this is a, a Brandon Staley defense that you may have a little bit of intel on because you played the Rams last year, but, yeah. uh, but Darwin's a different animal. Yeah. They're, they're talking a lot about the Rams and going back to the Rams and looking at people like John Johnson and trying to figure out how did they utilize the back end of their secondary um, you can, as you might anticipate, expect extra attention for Bosa for sure this weekend. Um, there's a rookie right tackle here. There's a new left tackle here. So the stars of the Chargers defense are people that they are earmarking and watching very closely. You know, like I said before, I don't think we really know what this offense is good at yet here. Like they're bullish that they're going to be better. They're bullish that they're going to be more explosive. There's a lot of reasons to feel that way with the personnel upgrade and the willingness of the quarterback to take more chances down the field and give his playmakers a chance to make plays. But what we have not seen in practice or in the preseason games is an ability to show any level of consistency at this point. And we just don't know what their calling card is going to be. So I think it's going to take a little time for them to come together. As far as Dura James goes, again, not unlike Herbert or Bosa, there's a healthy respect here. Um, that said, he's been very unlucky with his injuries the last couple of years. Yeah. So let, let's see what he looks like when he comes back again. And hopefully he'll stay healthy this time. Uh, last thing for me, Bram, just kind of wondering how you would describe, you, you, you mentioned it, new left tackle, Charles Leno brought over from the Bears, new right tackle, uh, Sam Cosme drafted. How is the O-line? We don't know. They're saying out loud that they're better than they were a year ago. Um, and they are deeper, that's for sure. Um, Eric Flowers is in a second go around with them. He's going to start at left guard. They have a pretty good backup at that position as well. Brandon Sheriff's stud at right guard, annual pro bowler. Cosme is definitely someone who's going to get tested and tested here early. Like when they, the first week of camp was like, it was a trial by fire. He's blocking sweat and young and he's getting roasted. I mean, they're, and they're telling him to his face, they're taking his lunch and they're telling him to his face. And so it took a couple of weeks for him to kind of, I think they were, they were very cognizant of trying to keep his confidence up because he's going against pro bowl defensive ends who didn't mind telling him how badly they were beating him. Um, and there were some technique things that they were concerned about, but we're going to find out. And I would say this, they're saying out loud, they're very comfortable with their offensive line. There are three new starters on it. One of them is a rookie. So, and the other one is a guy who's had one good year in the NFL that was as a guard here before he cashed in by going to Miami and now coming back. So I do think there's some leap of faith stuff going on here. And again, this is another interesting test for them. I guess we're going to find out on Sunday yeah. because they've got one of the best defensive ends that they're going to have to deal with in the NFL. So we're going to find out. So I, I really like, I typically, I think you guys probably have a pretty good feel. How's the team going to look when they start the season? When someone asks you that, you probably have a pretty good feel. I frankly don't about this team. I don't know really exactly what to expect. I'm just, you know, optimistic knowing that they have a higher propensity to make big plays and relying on a defense that looks like it should be top 10, maybe top five again, that they're going to be good. How good? I don't know. Well, we'll get you out of here on this. And the fact that we don't know, there's a lot of stuff we don't know either, Brava, on, on the Chargers side. Uh, given what we do know, what do you think may decide this game on Sunday? I think for Washington, it's the ability to get some big plays off because I just, I don't walk into this thinking, oh, they're a good, consistent run team. So can they hit a couple of home runs in this game? Can they scheme up a couple of things? Because you don't know a lot about Diami Brown because you don't know where McLaurin's going to match up. Is he going to end up having a rookie corner stuck on him or a safety on him in the slot? Is something like that going to happen where they can game something up to hit a big play here or there. And is this defense going to be able to do what it did a year ago and start off fast? Um, we're kind of banking on, and we're hoping that because the chargers didn't do much in the preseason, that they need a warm up here too. Like I would be so much more concerned that this is going to go the wrong way for us here locally. 
if our schedule was backwards, because we're playing the Thursday game this week against the Giants, if it was Giants first, Chargers second, I would be very concerned. Um, we're hoping that there's some rust out in L.A. and coming out here east that they're not hitting on all cylinders. And so we might have a choppy game and may the best team win who hits big plays. And I think that's that's kind of how we're looking at it here. But I'm lost. You know, I, I really just don't know what to expect here early from this team. Voice the team. Both voices of the team joining me, uh, Money and Bram. Bram, I, uh, it's been too long, brother. I'm, I'm so happy for your success and uh, excited for Sunday. Get things rolling. Yeah, thank you, guys. And uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy your season out there. All right, buddy. Good stuff from Bram. I think the consensus is we don't really know what's going to happen on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, well, my, my guess is both both teams, as, as you would expect, it's it's week one. Uh, not quite sure. Uh, you got a new head coach, like you said, in, in L.A. You have uh, a new starting quarterback in D.C., and you didn't really see a whole lot in the preseason, you know, before what you thought you knew about your team, you know, five years ago has changed dramatically. So, you know, I, I do think the one thing that is interesting is that, you know, you've got to get started with four or five new starters on the offensive line against the most formidable defensive front in the league. And like he said, you've got a brand new rookie tackle that, you know, Brandon Staley and Ronaldo Hill are going to get Joey Bosa to go after. And look, the one guy we did see in the preseason, Kyler Fackrell was the most impressive player of the preseason. So, you know, between those two and Shannon Owosu, you, you feel like there's an opportunity to exploit a, a weakness on that line as, as well. So that if I had to, again, just kind of reiterate what we talked about earlier, if you were to ask me, what do you think this game's going to look like? I think it's going to be defensively dominated. And, and like Bram said, maybe big plays could end up being the difference. And you feel pretty darn good about the Chargers' ability to make big plays after what Justin Herbert did all season. And Staley said on Monday, he said, this game's going to be decided in the trenches like it normally is. And that goes for both sides. It cuts both ways here. And just this new-look offensive line of the Chargers, how are they going to hold up? How's Rashawn Slater, who hasn't played a, a game in two years, getting that rematch with Chase Young in week one, Brian Bulaga uh, versus Montez Sweat, and just the interior of that Washington defensive line versus guys like Corey Lindsley, Filer, and Abushi. Uh, I think that's the, the fascinating uh, really storyline here is can you block this defensive line of Washington? If you can, you likely win. Yeah, just to – I think one thing we should also acknowledge because we know Chargers fans everywhere are thinking about it. And that's, you know, let's, let's get, let's get it maybe a touchdown too early. And, or, or, you know, if you feel comfortable, let's get one of those drives to stall and let's get a little layup for Vizcaino, a 30 yarder, a 35 yarder, just to, to get that confidence. You know, I know we started a game for San Francisco last year and went three for three, but you know, you, you won the battle. And we know how important kicking is and, and how much that's, you know, kind of shifted the season last year. It sure would be great to get the new kicker, you know, a layup early, get his confidence up, feel good, and, and get off to a great start to the 2021 season. I like that. Give him a little bunny early, get him some confidence, and then yeah. uh, let it all roll downhill. Buddy, this was fun, man. Uh, week one, Spiroditas, thank you for joining us. Brent Weinstein, thank you for joining us. Uh, be sure to download and subscribe to the Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Check out this full video on the Chargers YouTube channel as well as Chargers.com. And listen to money on Sunday. There Have a go. great weekend. Enjoy the game. And until next time, I'm Chris Harry.